it's Muppeturgy with a very merry episode about the Lynn Redgrave episode of The Muppet Show. Hooray, hooray. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome back. In a rare change of pace, we're recording in the morning this time, so uh, if our vibes are weird, you're welcome. Uh, I'm David Levy, and here today with me are... Christy Bauer. Michal Richardson. And Adam Grossworth. We are here this week to talk about Season 3, Episode 23 of The Muppet Show. It was produced during the week of January 30th, 1979, and it aired in New York City on May 28th, 1979. It was number 24 in the air order, after Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and before nothing, it was the season finale. Oh, that kind of makes sense that it's both Mm -hmm. like a weird episode and a very expensive episode. Yes. Well, that's what I was saying last week about the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans episode feeling a little cheap, right? That I wonder if they were kind of saving up for this, Uh, like a bottle episode on on a regular show. Here is a Muppet News flash. In the news, the oil crisis continues. Uh, This was fun and timely. It's not fun. Recent leaks of Supreme Court rulings have further strained tense relations between the court and reporters and have generated a press room debate about how the least accessible national institution should be covered. In a rare public display of sarcasm, I do love public displays of sarcasm, bitterness and pique at his Supreme Court colleagues, Justice Thurgood Marshall attacked the court today for affording insufficient protection to constitutional rights in two recent cases. So, you know, that used to be rare. That's a good time. Right? Yeah. It's like, wait, did I get today's paper by accident? Oh, no, Thurgood Marshall. Okay, it's fine. There's an article reporting on the cause of a plane crash a few days earlier. And for all the times that we have depressing news where nothing has changed or has gotten worse 45 years later, it occurs to me that there seemed to be a lot more airline disasters back then. So... I don't know. Yay, the present. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, yeah just, absolutely. This is at least like the, the third or fourth like major commercial airline thing that has come up, I feel like, since we've been doing this podcast, not including hijackings. So, you know. <laughs> Great. Also, in good news, the Israel-Egypt peace talks are going well. Encouraging. Yep. From the Department of Duh, off-road recreational vehicles reported injuring public lands. And an artist wrapped a building in gauze in the East Village. Okay. Yeah. On the Cashbox Pop Charts, the number one song is Reunited. Feels so good. Number one album is Breakfast in America. We've talked about both of those before. In movies, uh, oh, it is Memorial Day. I did not say that when I said the date. So it is Monday. It is Memorial Day. And Alien opened this weekend on Friday, May 25th. So that's a big one. And Grease was re-released for the holiday weekend. Still the word. There it is. I was waiting. (laughs) There's a theater review, which is unusual in the Monday newspaper, for Anthony Hopkins in The Tempest at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles. Sounds amazing. Uh, He also seems really young for this role, but I also feel like he's been middle-aged forever, right? Remember I watched that movie he was in, and, you know, he he basically looked the same as he did playing Hannibal Lecter. There is an ad for Us Magazine with the cover line, Rich and Beautiful, which... I think just sums up Us Magazine nicely. I like how they were just being honest about it. Cars, they're not like us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's one of those bad scans where like you can't really see the image, so I don't know like who the stars were, but we'll, we'll put it in the show notes anyway. Maybe you can decipher it. There is an ad uh, for a bank. Die without a will. It will keep your widow busy for years. Wah, Which, wah. true, <laughs> but did you have to gender it? Okay, on television, the good stuff. There's an article in the television section with the headline, For networks, summertime is a harbinger of fall. (laughs) Isn't that true for all of us? For those of us with anxiety, this is the kind of thing we worry about. Fall? You you worry about autumn arriving as it does every year? I mean, and then it leads to winter. You start worrying about it in June. Yeah. Fair, fair. Start worrying about Passover at Hanukkah. Right, right. What this article is about is that instead of reruns, the networks are starting new shows early or trying shows whose seasons were cut short again. I always thought that that second thing was about burning off episodes because they've already made them and spent the money on them. So they might as well air them, even though they were not worth airing in the regular season. You know, so it's not a complete loss. Uh, but I guess they were spinning that as a strategy. The shows listed that fall into that category do include Good Times and Battlestar Galactica. So that worked out. Also includes the Stockard Channing Show and the Eddie Capper Mysteries. 
so not so much. On CBS tonight, we have Wonder Woman, The Boy Who Knew Her Secret, Part 1. Diana Prince's true identity as Wonder Woman is inadvertently exposed to a young man who is helping her investigate extraterrestrial mind snatchers. Uh, one of the guest stars in this was Michael Shannon. I watched it, and that's how I learned that there are two Michael Shannons. <laughs> there are probably many Michael Shannons, but there are two acting Michael Shannons. And it was real dull, but Linda Carter is a goddess and we don't deserve her and i'm really looking forward to her episode of the muppet show uh there's a mash rerun there's a wkrp new episode and a lou grant rerun and i'm intrigued by this alternating rerun new situation in a world before dvrs uh on abc salvage one and then the house on garibaldi street a dramatization about the capture of the nazi war criminal adolf eichmann in buenos aires by the israeli secret police on NBC, Little House on the Prairie, The Cheaters. This is a rerun, but it, it sounds fun. Nellie Olson tries to blackmail Andy Garvey, the teacher's son, into getting her the answers for a school exam. Scandal. I know. I watched about three quarters of it. It's kind of <laughs> boring. But Aww. I do like Nellie being a bitch. That part is fun. I just want to point out House on Garibaldi Street starred Topol of Fiddler on the Roof and Charles Gray of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Oh, weird. I fully missed that somehow. It tastes great together. Yeah, Topol's a name I would have <laughs> noticed. Topol was top belt. Charles Gray was a little bit further down. Yeah, thank you. I don't know how I missed that. Topol was the house and Charles Gray was Garibaldi Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a lot of experience with roofs, so it makes sense. <laughs> we should never record in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I would have made that joke at night. Yeah, yeah same. Following Little House, The Best Place to Be, Part 2, Sheila finds herself unable to cope with her own problems and those of her children. This is a TV movie slash miniseries starring Donna Reed and Betty White. Uh, over on Channel 9 in syndication, live from the grand ballroom of the New York Hilton and Sybil's New York's Most Beautiful Disco, Come Celebrate the Child, a TV special benefit for St. Jude's Children's Hospital, hosted by Danny Thomas and Tony Orlando. Ah, uh, yes. Tony Orlando and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> i've seen uh tony orlando in concert i have not seen danny thomas and uh, i think that ship sailed <laughs> have, you, have you seen dom no it was tony orlando uh going solo on the condo circuit ah yes mm. oh, we've talked about this before i think the ad in the paper is it's children's art and i get it because it's children's hospital but it it really looks like the most <laughs> budget thing ever it'll be on the webpage and you can't google this because come celebrate the child is the name of a hymn i i now know and then on channel 21 long island's pbs station at 10 30 the great american mouth myth which just stood out in the listing <laughs> that and i was actually now. i will not myth myth yeah our guest star that's what i'm here to do so it really makes me happy to introduce to you lynn redgrave actress nepotism baby and the answer to a really great trivia question more on that in a bit born in london in 1943 lynn was the youngest child of the redgrave family her parents were actor director michael redgrave and actress rachel kempson her older sister was actress vanessa redgrave and her older brother was actor corin redgrave her grandfather, Roy Redgrave, was a leading man in silent movies. And of course, if you're keeping score, the next generation of the Redgrave family includes quite a few more famous names, but this is not a genealogy podcast. She made her professional stage debut at age 19 in a production of A Midsummer Night's Scream in London. The following year, she became a part of the National Theatre, and before long, she was making movies as well, including Tom Jones in 1963 and Georgie Girl in 1966, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, and Georgie Girl also featured her mother in it. She made her Broadway debut in 1967 in black comedy. That same year, she married fellow actor John Clark, with whom she would have three children. Despite a busy film career, she continued to perform on stage in both London and New York, including Tony-nominated turns in Mrs. Warren's Profession in 1976, her autobiographical show Shakespeare for My Father in 1993, and The Constant Wife in 2006. She made her television debut in the 1965 TV movie Sunday Out of Season, her television career developed from mostly guest star roles to mostly television movies and eventually series, including the American sitcom House Calls that ran on CBS for three seasons beginning in 1979. 
Despite earning an Emmy nomination for her work on the show, she was fired after season two for bringing her daughter to work with her so she could breastfeed. Although she was unsuccessful in the lawsuit she brought against Universal for wrongful termination, she got the last laugh when the show's ratings tanked when Sharon Gless took over. The 1980s found Lynn as a spokesperson for Weight Watchers, making a series of commercials with the catchphrase, This is living, not dieting. Jesus. <laughs> I am sorry to say that she also used that as the title of her memoir, which included a number of Weight Watchers-approved recipes. Awkward. Thankfully, when she adopted the work for the stage, she retitled it Shakespeare for My Father. In 1989, she appeared on Broadway in Love Letters with her husband, John Clark. They would return to the roles frequently, performing it around the country, including for the jury in the O.J. Simpson case on one of their days off in the what? courtroom. Apparently at the invitation of Judge Eno. <laughs> it's like entertaining the troops, but it's entertaining the jurors. Well, they were sequestered, so they weren't allowed to go out. <laughs> Love Letters doesn't involve any kind of set or movement. It's just two people sitting at a table. So, sure. I'm going to be thinking about this all day. <laughs> Uh, her marriage with John ended, however, in 2000, two years after Clark revealed that he had an affair with Redgrave's personal assistant, Nicolette Hanna, and that Lynn's supposed grandson, Zachary, was in fact Clark's own son by Hanna, who, wait for it, had married and subsequently divorced their son, Benjamin. My head is spinning. I don't know what you just said. <laughs> I have to diagram it out. Yeah. I'll do it later. She is her own grandpa? Almost. In 2003... Lynn battled breast cancer and documented her experiences in a book called Journal, A Mother and Daughter's Recovery from Breast Cancer, with photos by her daughter, Annabelle Clark. She was a prolific narrator of audiobooks and was nominated for a Grammy Award in 2007 for Best Book and Word Album for Children for her performance of The Witches. In 2009, she was inducted into the American Theatre Hall of Fame, and in 2010, her breast cancer returned, and she died at age 67. All right, so I laid out all the clues in this bio. Does anyone know what the great trivia question is that she is the answer to? I noticed all the clues. I, I think I know what you're going for. She's the only person to have achieved this honor. Yeah, she's been nominated for all categories of EGOT and won zero of them. That's oh. correct. She's the only recipient of the reverse EGOT. Mm -hmm. wow. wow. Although I got to say, the thing about her grandson turning out to actually be the son of her husband having an affair with her ex-daughter-in-law is also probably a great trivia question, although I'm not exactly sure how to frame that. As is the original title of Shakespeare for my father being, this is living, not dieting. Anyway. I remember those commercials. I'd forgotten all about them until you brought it up, but I fully remember those Weight Watchers commercials. Uh, what other memories do we all have about Lynn Redgrave? This is an episode of The Muppet Show that I really remember. And so it's really this for me. And we've talked about this before of like being a small child and, you know, being aware of and loving uh, an actor who we shouldn't really have any reason to know because of The Muppet Show and sort of carrying that through. And then, you know, being 10 and watching Murder, She Wrote with my mom and being like, oh, Lynn Redgrave, I love her. <laughs> Right, because of the puppet <laughs> show, and so so that's this is really my my key connection. And like looking at her IMDb, there's other stuff that I definitely saw later on, like Gods and Monsters. But I I love her from this for sure, first and foremost. I didn't really have strong Lynn Redgrave feelings until quite recently uh, when I saw a, a very bad but entertaining when watched with other people movie that uh, Michal and I will talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. But yeah, so uh, I, I I watched this movie that she was in very early on in her career. I want to say 1967 called Smashing Time. <laughs> and it's a weird, bad musical in which she's one of two girls who've moved from the north of England to London to experience the swinging London scene. And Michael York is in it. And it's just, it, it, it's one of those movies I... I recommended it to the group and Michal watched it and I should have said watch this with other people who can laugh at it with you because I tried, man, I, I, I didn't get through that much of it. <laughs> and you probably didn't get to the parts where it's really funny. Like the longer it goes on there, there's just stuff. There's a sequence in it that is like one of the funniest things that I've seen in a long time, but it's very unintentionally funny, but she's delightful in it. And um, she's delightful in this. She is delightful. I mean, I, I didn't have any Lynn Redgrave feelings um, or 
memories before this week, but I I watched a, a bit of Smashing Time and a bit of whatever happened to Baby Jane, and I made it all the way through Georgie Girl. <laughs> uh, Lynn Redgrave is indeed a delight. So we should say, uh, among her odder things, uh, Lynn and Vanessa Redgrave did a made-for-TV remake of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in 1991, which sadly is not on is not anywhere in its entirety. Uh, you maybe get it on DVD. Um, I found it I on YouTube. I watched it on Tubi. What, you found it on Tubi? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Just watch Lied to Me. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, we'll link it on Tubi. Um, I found I clips. I searched her name on Tubi, and that was one of the things that came up along with Georgie Girl. Oh, That's fantastic. Cool. I always use Just Watch, and it's usually pretty reliable. But uh, I found clips on YouTube and watched some clips, and uh, it's it's not it's not very good. But um, she's great. I mean, they're both great. Um, they are very committed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. When I was looking at her IMDb, there was a stretch where she was on an episode of The Love Boat in 1982, two episodes of Fantasy Island in 82 and 84, and an episode of Murder, She Wrote in 84. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you figured out the things I've been watching from 77, 78, <laughs> 79... <laughs> you, you, you know that I gravitated to this. Yeah, I love this for you. So, well, I didn't in the end, but um, I started with Murder, She Wrote. And you guys, I might have to watch Murder, She Wrote. We might have to start a Murder, She Wrote podcast. Um, it's a season one episode. They are already out of Cabot Cove. Peacock, you can't turn off autoplay. So it started playing the next episode. That's also out of Cabot Cove. Like they gave up immediately <laughs> on the premise of this show. It's like season one, episode six. Um this episode also features Dean Jones, uh, for our purposes, the original Bobby and Company, and also a bunch of uh, 60s Disney live-action movies, Herbie and such. Um, and as the sheriff of wherever the hell they are, Roger Miller. <laughs> um, I need to watch Murder, She Wrote. No, oh, no. Seriously, you will love it. Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> they are somewhere in the South. No two people are doing the same accent. Um you will re- if you watch any TV in the seventies or eighties, you will recognize every single person on this show. Lynn Redgrave is playing Jessica Fletcher's cousin or niece, so she gets to be English, which is great. There's a dog. Is the dog the murderer? I won't say. Anyway, it's phenomenal. I had a great time. Her Love Boat episode, speaking of Muppet Show guest stars, also featured Phyllis Diller. Both of their storylines made me sad, <laughs> just Aww. because of the built-in misogyny so that was not so great and then i looked at the plot synopses for both of her fantasy island episodes deciding which one to watch and for both of them i was like i don't i don't like this for her i'm just not gonna do it and so i watched wonder woman instead okay so we all seem to like lynn redgrave (laughs) david how do you feel about this episode i liked it I always like it when they take a big swing on the Muppet Show and doing a whole episode where there's a conceit that they're putting on like a narrative musical theater piece instead of their typical vaudeville show is fun for me. If I had to go to a Broadway theater and sit through two and a half hours of this version of Robin Hood, I might claw my eyes out. But as, you know, a 20 minute episode of the Muppet Show, I thought it was great. Christy? Yeah, I think that's basically where I land, too. It's fun. It's not what I typically want out of a Muppet show. Uh, and we'll, we will get into it with the music. There, It's all original music this week. But Lynn Redgrave is so game and so charming that she she sells it. And I, I, I do appreciate a big swing. So, like, it's somewhere in the middle for me, I think. Michal? Yeah, same. As much as I didn't quite know how to digest this because it – it wasn't what we expect when we turn on an episode of The Muppet Show. Um, it was pretty cute. And yeah, E for effort. They they really went for it. And I appreciate that. And also, for all that people on the internet love to suggest, make a movie with the Muppets and one human. And I, I would posit that this is as good or better <laughs> than anything the internet wants us to to watch or wants Hollywood to make. Good job. Yeah, all of that. There's a big nostalgia factor here for me, like I said, because this is one that I actually remember. I have some quibbles, 
adult me has some quibbles, but uh, it's a good time. Lynn Redgrave, 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Redgrave. Oh, thank you very much, Scooter. You know, I think it's absolutely wonderful that instead of doing the regular show tonight, you're going to be doing the story of Robin Hood. Yeah, the rehearsals went great, <laughs> but there's just one scene that needs a little more work. Oh, which one? <laughs> Uh, let me guess. The archery contest? Yeah. The the dressing room door opens and in comes Scooter. And this time he's not dressed in a Western cowboy outfit. He's dressed in a little green Merry Men outfit. Also, the Merry Men have like Kermit collars, which is really cute. There's a, there's a Kermit shade of green theme in their costumes. Anyway, then Arrow narrowly misses Lynn Redgrave. The the theater kid energy on the rehearsals <laughs> went great. It's just, I love yeah, it so much. Yeah, he does a little scooter fist. <laughs> rehearsals went great. Yep. We'll have a gif for all your, all your needs, listeners. <laughs> He's very enthusiastic. Um, we don't get a, a an inter-opening Stylone Waldorf clip, but there's Bo standing in the wings with a little Jester's outfit. And an arrow narrowly misses him as well. So that's going to be a theme. The arrows don't always miss in this episode. But Bo's little jester's hat is cute. Gonzo blows his trumpet, and then he's surrounded by four trumpets uh, from all corners. And they sound a little fanfare. That makes me laugh every time. like Because <laughs> Gonzo just screams. It must be so loud. <laughs> <laughs> Not more trumpets. <laughs> yeah. It's cute. So this week, we're going to retain our usual structure, but also it's going to get a little confusing because the backstage bits and the onstage bits and the whole Robin Hood thing all kind of mush together. But we'll do our best. So let's go backstage. Yeah, I'm up at your backstage. Okay, so the Muppets this week are trying their best to stage an uninterrupted production of Robin Hood. There are no other sketches or songs. It's all Robin Hood all the way down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome to the Muppet Show, in which we are going to spend the entire program doing a unique production of Robin Hood. It's going to be very terrific because our special guest is one of the great ladies of the stage and screen, Miss Lynn Redgrave. And so, without further ado, or a don't, <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Muppet players with Lynn Redgrave proudly present Robin Hood. So without further ado or I don't is one of those things that I say still. And I knew it was Muppets. Like I hear it in my head in Kermit's voice, but I didn't realize it was from this episode. And like I did a little dance when he said it. it made me very happy. <laughs> Excellent. Also this week, the, the backstage has kind of transformed into Sherwood Forest. Just the forest overgrowth has overtaken everything and that's cute anyway this is totally under control and nothing is wrong so how's it going oh well looks a little bit like feeding time on a freaky farm <laughs> well i'm stage managing tonight since kermit's starring in the show uh, could you help me move some scenery oh sorry scoot i'd love to but i'm on strike okay scoots isn't kermit always starring in the show and isn't scooter also starring in the show right now he just came off stage from singing a song. Well, first of all, Scooter is not starring in the show. Scooter has a small role sure. in the show. Uh, and arguably, Kermit is not really starring in The Muppet Show from week to week. He is hosting The Muppet Show. But uh, especially in this season, he doesn't have a lot of onstage time. Like, I, I can't think of the last episode where he did a number. And certainly can't think of the last one where he did more than one. And I've never really thought of him as the stage manager. I mean, I guess he's the de facto stage manager, but... I mean, I'll, I'll let you know that within the professional stage management community, there is a long and robust argument about whether Kermit or Scooter is right. the stage manager. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Which side are you on? I, I think that Kermit is the stage manager as the show begins, and at some point, perhaps this being the turning point, mm. uh, their roles evolve and Scooter grows into becoming the stage manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you can't really be stage managing and, and be on stage, like, period. I mean, if you're, like, calling the show, which obviously no one is calling any cues on this, I understand. <laughs> we have we have seen what little happens in the way of 
anyone doing lighting. Although this is really for the onstage business, but a thing I love about this episode is the way they really treat it like they're doing a play, including like various light cues happening and stuff like that. It's 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 pretty great for like what for what we see. We obviously don't need to know how the Muppets make that happen in universe, but <laughs> I like the way that they've designed all of this for the TV audience. And as this is happening, uh, I don't know why Scooter suddenly runs backstage to ask how things are going, because it's not that he has a small role. He's narrating. The Merry Men are on stage, and he's one of them, I guess. I, I don't know much about Alan Adale. <laughs> I mean, that's the Roger Miller part from the Disney movie. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it's cute that he's run backstage to just ask Floyd how it's going. And he keeps looking nervously into, I guess, what is supposed to be the onstage. But effectively, he's looking right into the camera, directly down the barrel. And it's every time he does a take to the camera, I'm like, ah, oh, the eye focus. It's beautiful. Yeah, Floyd does that too with that the, that look that we love where they, they do that <laughs> with his conical <laughs> eyes. Meanwhile, speaking of Floyd, although... Here, he opts out of participating in Robin Hood. 1980, the Muppets will release a Robin Hood book in which he plays Will Scarlet, uh, a character who is missing from this version of Robin Hood and missing from the Disney version, but prominent in many others. Including the television series Once Upon a Time. I guess that's a name I know from Robin Hood Men in Tights, but otherwise, hadn't thought about it. It's the Christian Slater part in uh, Prince of Thieves, right? In the 1938 version, he's like the cute twink wearing red who is sort of the sidekick. He's like the only character who doesn't get like a little introductory scene. Like Robin Hood meets everyone else along the way, but Will Scarlet's there from the beginning. Anyway, I'm glad you did your Robin Hood homework. There'll be more of that as we get going. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so things start out mostly under control. And of course, everything devolves into chaos before too long. Five o'clock and all's well. Five o'clock and all's well. Except that Maid Marion has been kidnapped. The sheriff's up to no good. That dog is stealing the cheese. Kermit's mad at Piggy, and it's really only 4.30. <laughs> There's a newsman who then gets hit by a head of lettuce? I don't know what that was. A bush? Anyway, this was very cute. That dog is stealing the cheese is my favorite line of the episode. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it's there, but I love it. Meanwhile, uh, Miss Piggy, who was conspicuously absent from last week's episode entirely, she's noticed that she's not in this episode either. Hmm, speaking of a demanding role, uh, uh, I do not have a role in this production, and uh, I am demanding one. <laughs> You see, there's only one female part that, that's made Marion, and Lynn Redgrave is playing that. Oh, Bernie, you were not listening, dear. I said, I am demanding. <laughs> I love this. I love the way she says production. Uh, what I find weird about this is that no version of Robin Hood only has one female part, right? Like, do we all remember Lady Cluck, made Marion's... <laughs> Lesbian uh, of chicken course friend? I remember Lady Cluck. I have no <laughs> idea whether she's <laughs> in in any iteration of Robin Hood other than the Disney one. Well, in the Errol Flynn version, uh, Una O'Connor plays a character named Bess who has a similar role as sort of the, uh, the older lady who is uh, also there. <laughs> and like, granted, it's not a great role. But it's it, in some ways like it would make more sense for Piggy to be mad about being stuck in this like terrible nothing supporting role. I, I, it just seemed weird to me. Yeah, does she also lose a, a badminton birdie down her cleavage like Lady Cluck? Uh, no, she doesn't. But she does get a little romance storyline with one of the uh, older merry men. Sweet. Anyway, Piggy does accept the her assigned role of Sister Tuck, but she does not stay in it for long. Miss Piggy, oh. I want to talk to you. Oh, you mean you wish an audience with Sister Tuck? <laughs> no, I want to talk to you. I want to know what you did with Lynn. Oh, remember, blessed are the meek. Well, what did you do with her? Meeker. <laughs> uh, what did you do with her? Oh, that's nice. She is in yonder dressing room. She's okay. <laughs> I don't know why I love that so much, just that delivery. Hmm. I'm also shocked that we haven't had a Sister Tuck turn up on Drag Race Hmm. yet. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll give it time. When we get to the onstage business later, this is when everything begins to blend together because Miss Piggy kidnaps Lynn Redgrave so that she can take over the leading role and things get confusing. But she's okay. I was wondering how they were going to tackle the UK spot in an episode uh, where the plot runs all the way through. And the answer is, Sam would like to introduce us to the author. You are THE William Shakespeare? I am A. William Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Shakespeare, what an honor. Do you know I saw The Sound of Music at least a dozen times? Now, now, wait, 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 just a minute. Hmm. This here William Shakespeare is my nom de plum. Then you are not the real William Shakespeare. Oh, of course not. Oh, of course not. <laughs> I can see that now. He was a, uh, a bearded man. Hmm. And, uh, and you're much younger. Hmm. And he's dead. And he's... <laughs> is he? <laughs> Sam is clearly confused about many, many things. Um, but, yeah, there's a whatnot Muppet and... Sam just informs us that he'd like to introduce us to the author of tonight's drama. It's William Shakespeare. And then <laughs> sure. William Shakespeare, A. William Shakespeare explains that he is doing this for the for the royalties, which doesn't make any sense, but we love a royalties joke on the Muppet Show. I don't know. This seems to uh piss in the face of the public. This is what me. I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I'm here for it. Could you please recite a portion of his masterpieces? Uh, sure, but, but let me get an actor to do it properly, all right? Hey, hey you! Uh, excuse me. Actor! Uh, yeah, want to read this for me, please? This, uh, this is an actor? To be or not to be, calls I didn't understand all of it, but I'm certain the English people enjoyed it. <laughs> David, to your point earlier about Miss Piggy, it is weird that she is not in this episode at all. I mean, she is, but that she's not intended to be on stage in the story of the episode. Uh, but the Swedish chef is in the ensemble; like he's he's cooking for the Merry Men, as as if. Well, of course they need to have. I understand have- that, but like you know, in the world of the show, he's not an actor really. Like you know, he he he's does his stage he does, but he does his cooking his cooking bits. So you'd what think that Miss Piggy would be somewhere. <laughs> What a beautiful delivery of that soliloquy. So the music this week is a little tricky to talk about just because it is all of a piece with the play within the show. And therefore the music is all original to the Muppet show. And we only sort of have information about some of it. So I've decided to keep things interesting and uh, talk about some songs in other Robin Hood properties, but we will talk about the songs that do crop up. I've often wondered, you know, the Muppet movies often rely on talent from other Muppet projects to write the scores. We have Paul Williams, we have Joe Raposo, we have Jeff Moss, who all get to write Muppet movies full on song scores. And at one point I was wondering, like, how come Derek Scott, who wrote all the original music for The Muppet Show, never got his chance? And I think now we know this episode answers that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It is just a different skill yeah. set. We will be very diplomatic and just say it is a different skill set that not every songwriter has. I mean, and I think these all feel like The Muppet Show. they're fine. I do yeah. wish. Yeah. Also, because I think it would be funnier, I wish that they had done something like what they did with the Pro Bailey episode. Right, and used, you know, repurposed pre-existing songs yeah. and made that part of a joke. Um, I haven't looked ahead to see what they did with the Alice in Wonderland episode. That, that uses existing yeah, and that's, songs. I think that's part of the reason why it's not on Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, it's just like, it could have been that. That's exactly my feeling on it, is I wish it were existing songs, weird, funny, incongruous existing songs. But my theory is that because this episode was so expensive, they didn't have mm, a music button. Yeah. So let's talk about the songs. The first musical moment we have is Scooter as Alan Adele introducing the world of Robin Hood. I wish you all a fond hello. My name is Alan Adele. My hope is that we entertain with this our evening's tale. 
In Sherwood Forest, dark and deep, dwells Robin Hood in sooth. An outlaw and his merry men, they're living fast and loose. Fast and loose? Come on, give me a break. I'm usually the gopher around here. <laughs> and we get another similar moment in the archery contest. The day of the archery contest. There isn't one seat left to sell. The crowd on the greens packed as tight as sardines, which might also account for the smell. This is giving off big Sir Robin's Minstrel and Monty Python and the Holy Grail yeah. vibes. Also that... Um, <laughs> Boldly Sir Robin Hood, not afraid to have his liver smashed and his bowels unplugged and his elbows broken. <laughs> also yes. that, that Moonlighting episode, the, the Taming of the Shrew Moonlighting episode, still not available to stream anywhere. Oh. Yeah, apparently they announced that it's coming without any kind of date, so it's it's a ways out still, I think, because they have to like remaster all of I it. I mean, just my reaction to remembering that that exists. I, I know that gasp. Tells I love how enthusiastic it. I would be about watching <laughs> but it. Yeah, and in the script too, we don't have clips, but there's a lot of very similar, you know, pr- pretty coolest down like that kind of or coolest it. I think it is a lot of that kind of joke, <laughs> which I'm a sucker for. So since I don't have any information about. Scooter's songs here. Uh, I'm going to throw out bonus Robin Hood song fun fact. Uh, so uh, we mentioned that in the 1973 Disney animated Robin Hood, uh, Alan Adale is played by Roger Miller. He is a rooster in that, as befits you know someone who is surrounded by cluckitis. Uh, and his opening song in that movie uh, is a song called Whistle Stop. That if you aren't familiar with the Robin Hood movie, but were a child of the 90s. You've probably heard Whistle Stop, but very sped up because it was used as the soundtrack to a Flash video that went hugely viral in 1998 called The Hamster Dance. (laughs) And yes, I'm emphasizing a P because for some reason it's misspelled in the name of the video. That was like one of the internet's earliest memes. We have a clip. Do you want the real thing or the hamster dance? Let's put uh, first let's, let's play the real thing and then we'll hear the deranged hamster version (laughs) so that's the robin hood version And Disney, once they realized what was happening with this, went full in and produced like hamster dance CDs and cashed in in any way they could on this. That's probably Shocking. wiser than a season desist. <laughs> and I believe hamster with the P was named after a, a hamster named hamster with the P. Ham- I don't know. I, I just learned this today. Hampton. Uh, oh, okay. Hamster. Okay. But still. All right. What an internet. Our next musical moment in this episode, we do have a tiny bit of information about. Let's hear it. Hooray! Hooray! It's such a lovely day. Singing hey down, very down, down. Oh, oh, little roll, hey, Donnie, no. With a dum-dum, diddle-dum. Dum-dum, diddle-dum, hey, down, very down, This is a song called Hey Down that was written for the show by Derek Scott and Chris Langham. And we also hear it reprised at the end. So the setup for this is that uh, they've started to perform in the dressing room and then realize they should perhaps go to the stage, which I enjoyed. Come, Robin, come, merry men, to the green sword! To the green sword! To the green sword! Sensational, 
So I know it's dangerous to say this is the first time for anything three seasons into a show. <laughs> but I am pretty sure this is the first time we're hearing the word Muppetational outside of a theme song. I think that's true. I think that's right. Yeah. And it's really satisfying, or at least I found it very satisfying, that they they end the show by kind of bringing it back around again. Do we have to start calling it the Green Sword of Despair? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> That's a good word. I had to Google it. What does it mean? Uh, a grass-covered ground. Excellent. Yeah. So, since I don't have any other information about this song other than that Derek Scott and Chris Langham wrote it, here's bonus Robin Hood song fun fact number two. Uh, noted Joe Raposo Stan Frank Sinatra starred in a 1964 movie called Robin and the Seven Hoods with a bunch of his bros, uh, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Bing Crosby. And it's an adaptation of the Robin Hood idea, but set in 1920s Chicago with gangsters. Naturally. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's logical. And uh, this movie introduced the song My Kind of Town, which was one of Frank's signature songs that had music by Jimmy Van Heusen and lyrics by Sammy Kahn. And it was, uh, if you're playing the Muppeturgy Bingo game, uh, nominated for the Best Song Oscar. But it lost to Chim Chim Turee. <laughs> but here, here's a little bit of that, just for the halibut. My kind of town, Chicago is... My kind of town, Chicago is. My kind of people, too. People who smile at you. I was a little surprised to find out that Yoda was not, in fact, the lyricist of this particular song. Not dignifying that with a chuckle. <laughs> It's funny, I love the album for Robin and the Seven Hoods, and despite the fact that in my life I've watched hundreds and hundreds, and in fact in the last couple of years I've watched hundreds and hundreds of movie musicals, I have still never seen this movie. You haven't seen it either. Well, I've seen a lot of versions of Robin Hood, but none to match this one. How's it? The others were all good. <laughs> As befits a Robin Hood adaptation, we have a love song. And yet I still I know I'm an odd one I'm not like a frog My head is all covered with hair No flippers, no bulges No croaking, no warts No wonder that sometimes you stay. Uh, so this song is called I Still Love You, and it has music by Larry Grossman and lyrics by Jerry Jewell. So they really sort of uh, spread out the songwriting duties this week. Larry Grossman, objectively a better songwriter than Derek Scott. Jerry Jewell, objectively a better writer and human being than Chris <laughs> Langham. Uh, and yet this song is like the most bland, forgettable thing in the episode. Ugh. Yeah, I mean it's sweet enough, but yeah, this this moment could have had a better song, either a funnier song or a sweeter song. It sort of lands in this middle place where it's like kind of jokey but not funny. Also, it reminds me of the song "Love Song" in Pippin, like both the the sound of the song and the like setup of the moment in the show. And I brought a clip. Sitting on the floor and talking till dawn. Trading old beliefs and humming old songs And lowering old defenses Singing a love song La 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 Love song La 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 See, that's a better song. I mean, it's not a great song. It's not like the worst song in Pippi. Yeah. 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 I kept misremembering how this song went, and my mind was inserting I Honestly Love You by <laughs> Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> also a better song. <laughs> uh, so I brought a, a bonus Robin Hood song fun fact you knew it was uh, coming. here, too. Yeah, I mean, we, we were required to by <laughs> musical law. 
so Brian Adams is everything I do. I do it for you, which was the love theme and main single from the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack spent 16 consecutive weeks at the top of the UK singles chart in 1991, which is a record that has yet to be broken. It's bigger than Despacito. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, in the, in the UK, do they give like extra credit for Canadian songs in the UK? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was seven weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Like, I remember that summer. But you that's know, like, like less than half the time in the UK. Yeah. I didn't understand all of it, but I'm certain the English people enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but for, uh, for those of you playing the drinking game and or bingo, Everything I Do, I Do It For You was also nominated for the Best Song Oscar. But it lost to Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Why is Grover singing Beauty and the Beast? (laughs) I mean, did Yoda write that too? Why shouldn't he? So that's the thing that I chose to clip because those lyrics are so funny to me. There's nowhere unless you're there all the time, all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business? On stage this week, it's a production of Robin Hood. Uh, In case you hadn't seen that coming. There are a few individual scenes that kind of add up to a little bit of a plot, but they refer to them as scenes like the big torture scene and the big archery contest scene. So let's just go through them. First off, there's a scene with the Merry Men cavorting. They discuss proper cavorting technique. Fozzie disapproves. He tries to show them the the best way to cavort. Lynn Redgrave rushes on stage holding a little bouquet of flowers and saying she thinks she's been followed. And then they all just disregard that piece of information and sing a song. It doesn't quite make sense. And this is exactly how, when the Simpsons refer to Muppets, this is how the Simpsons think that Muppet movies work. It now returns to Diane Cannon, Troy McClure, and the Muppets in the 1977 film, The Muppets Go Medieval. Oh, Princess Fair, wilt thou grant me thine dainty hoof in marriage? Oh, Sir Lysalot, I will! Mm. Unhandy swine, you swain! Come, piggy, back to Hemelot. Not now, frog. Me and Iron Pants are just getting acquainted. <laughs> That's kind of the mood here. I never noticed before, though I've seen that clip many, many times, uh, that the year on that is two years early for there to be a Muppet movie. So take that, The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Muppets were not remaking classic tales in 1977. They were doing it on their show in 1979. I mean, they had done it on TV prior with things like Hey Cinderella and the Frog Prince. Like That's true. I wonder how much that was actually in the public consciousness. And not with stars at the level of Diane Cannon and Troy McClure. True. Anyway, Ma- Maid Marian has been followed... <laughs> Uh, she is yoinked away by the sheriff's men, and then it's off for the big torture scene in which Gonzo, in the role of the sheriff of Nottingham, he sets out to torture Maid Marian and find out the exact location of Robin Hood's secret hideout, which his men have just been to. <laughs> it occurred to me. <laughs> so somebody has that information already. Um, but it seems like what Gonzo is more interested in is fundamentally misunderstanding how torture works. Or perhaps he understands it all too well. Gonzo's trying to get himself killed. Yeah, but he won't make it. He never succeeds at anything. (laughs) Best he can hope for is maimed. (laughs) So, in an attempt to get Maid Marian to talk, Gonzo has Lynn Redgrave as Maid Marian torture him. First, she torments his thumbs under the thumb screws, and then he has her strap him to the rack and 
stretch out his limbs. Uh, she's still not talking, but Gonzo doesn't seem to mind. Well, I think the idea is that she tricks him, right? I, well, let, let's hear the clip and debate. There is no escape from this pain. <laughs> this pain here? <laughs> yes! Isn't that terrific? It's a no for me, dog. I can't. <laughs> Why? Gonzo's having yeah. a good time. Don't kink shame. He's having too good a time. I can't. It's a lot. The scene is extraordinarily horny, even for <laughs> right. Gonzo. Yeah. Especially yeah. audio only. But but like the initial the initial gag is, you know, he's like, look at this thing. I don't, right, you don't want this done to you, right? And she's like, show me how it works. And then sort of gets him into it with the thumbscrews. And does it on him, and, of course, and then it's Gonzo, and he enjoys it, and like that's that's joke part two. I think that's like that's like the sort of classic joke of like she tricks him into getting into it. It's still uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying I don't think he's trying to get the answer out of her by torturing himself. I, yeah. I don't think any of us thought he was. I think that's what, what Mokal just said. I mean, d- fair enough. Yes, you're right. He says you'll talk on the rack, and she says what's that, and then she straps him to the right. rack so that he can demonstrate. But he does say, like, will you talk now while he's being stretched out? Right. And, like, she's doing the hard work of turning the wheel, as if that's that's the torture for her. I mean, the horniness at least comports with the sheriff of Nottingham and a few, I mean, definitely in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is a movie that I've conservatively seen 400 times because my brother <laughs> went through a phase when he was seven years old where it was his favorite movie and watched it every day. And it's just, like, the longest, most boring thing <laughs> Um, (laughs) Alan Rickman though but yeah but like Alan Rickman right that's the thing is Alan Rickman is pretty horny in that can we talk about Gonzo's outfit please we are not a fashion podcast but uh, he's wearing this sparkly purple ensemble (laughs) Um, and it is just delightful he's got a little black hat that's like not quite a cowboy hat not quite I don't is that like a I, I don't, again, not a fashion podcast. I don't really understand what the references for that hat, but it's sort of a wide brim, but kind of flat black hat. But then the outfit, it just, I don't know. It's sort of like, it's very disco. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And he's got a little Shakespeare style ruffled collar and also a sash, like a Miss Universe there's like, type like sash. Steel studs on the glittery purple outfit. It looks to me like he wandered out from Studio 54 and onto the set of The Muppet Show. <laughs> and he's rocking it. There's also an archery contest with no real context or consequences, but it's the big archery contest scene. Um, Scooter narrates the contest with, between Black Bart, that's one of the sheriff's guards portrayed by a pig, and Robin Hood, in disguise as perhaps an old man or an elderly frog or a leprechaun, Portrayed by Kermit, and he wins, splitting Black Bart's arrow in two. There's much rejoicing. This was a moment where I really appreciated all the various cameos uh, from people like Louis Kazagger. <laughs> it, it was nice to see him in a, a, a different but appropriate context. Yeah, they're using their stable of characters. It's it's neat to see. There's one whatnot in this crowd who looks like a podling from the Dark Crystal. And I, I did not care for it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That's okay. Kermit's disguise is very cute. Made up for it. It is cute. I kept thinking that Kermit was supposed to look like someone's in particular, and I cannot place what the reference is. But he's got sort of a like a red goatee, sort of like Shaggy from Scooby Doo, but <laughs> Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> and like I, I kept googling for like redheaded beaknik and like beard and coke bottle glasses and just i just kept getting stock photos and couldn't find a specific reference and i thought is this maynard g krebs but maynard g krebs didn't wear the glasses so i i don't know listeners if that rings a bell to you please 
uh, unlock it for me. We also have a love scene between Robin Hood and Maid Marian, the aforementioned I Still Love You song. Kermit and Lynn enjoy a moment in the forest, or they very nearly get to enjoy it before they are interrupted by Miss Piggy as Sister Tuck. Miss Piggy distracts Kermit, said he's wanted in yon thicket, and then Marion is hauled off again by the sheriff's men. What'd you think of Miss Piggy's outfit? I think she ought to kick the habit. (laughs) (laughs) That's an old joke. So are you. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a burn. Beautifully done. Kermit and his posse of merry men attempt to rescue Maid Marion twice. First, this happens on stage. Hold fast, good sir, lest I strike you again with my quarterstaff. That's a cheap weapon. Mine costs 50 cents. That's a cheap joke. You'll pay for that. Hurt like a butterfly, sting like a frog. They go to rescue Maid Marion only to discover that Miss Piggy or Sister Tuck or whatever she's supposed to be has taken over the role of Maid Marion and she's locked Lynn Redgrave in her dressing room, which is guarded by more of the pig guards from on stage and Kermit has to go fight them again. How goes it? Strange. Strange, but still. Still what? Still strange. (laughs) I like these pig guards. So the chair that Piggy appears in as Maid Marian reminds me a lot of the chair at the end of Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) And Uh, I think part of it is because she appears so quickly. (laughs) But I was looking at it and I was like, oh, I wonder if it's one of those trick chairs. (laughs) What do you mean trick chairs? It's magic. Oh, right, right. Once they have to go backstage to the dressing room and battle the onstage pigs... This is where trying to differentiate between the onstage and offstage drama kind of collapses in on itself. But they they rescue Lynn Redgrave. Everything's fine. There's a happy ending. We already played the We Won clip, right? We did. Off to the green sword. There is something funny about the pigs who are cast in the show to be the tough guys, just sort of blindly following Miss Piggy's command, which also feels accurate. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, I'm sure if Miss Piggy bossed me around, I'd probably do what she said. Well, she got herself a Maid Marian costume. She could have also gotten herself a Sheriff of Nottingham costume. I don't even think it's that deep. I I mean, I think she's the star, and if she says, go do this thing, they're going to do it. And also, we've seen in the past, like when the pigs locked up Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo, that they, uh, you know, there's certain pig solidarity that does not extend to the rest of the puppets. Yeah. After the, the Merry Men leave the stage um, piggy is still tied up as maid marion and she calls for help and says police gonzo says will the sheriff of nottingham do and then just sits in this chair with her and tries to kiss her against her will it's not pleasant nope nope so they just kind of leave piggy there and go and celebrate their happy ending and the end the show is over Hamlet, this has been a most unique theatrical experience. Oh, thank you. Uh, we can take that as a compliment? Um. <laughs> That's how I felt about sleep no more. <laughs> <laughs> they do a full curtain call. And yeah. everyone. That's really except cute. Except Miss Piggy, who presumably is still tied up. <laughs> everyone takes a bow, like an individual bow. And it is so cute. It is my favorite thing about the entire episode. I love that uh, Scooter shouts out Uncle JP. <laughs> it's a cute touch. Yeah, he just thanks everybody. And Piggy does make her way onto the stage after the bow. She just doesn't get a bow herself. Yeah, I'm glad she's not still tied up. I, I was glad to see Gonzo and the, the sheriff's men bowing together. So at least Gonzo's not still sitting in that chair with her. But the curtain call is very sweet. The legend of Robin Hood will never die. No, but it sure got wounded pretty bad tonight, huh? Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us in two weeks with our very special guest star, Danny Horn, to discuss the Cheryl Ladd episode of The Muppet Show and wind up season three. You can find us on whatever social media still exists at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Buy our merch at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Tom Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. If Mary Tyler Moore was doing a Robin Hood episode, would you think Sue Ann should not be in it?
I don't know who that is. I've seen one episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> That's Betty White's character. She's oh, the happy sure, homemaker. Sure. I just love the idea that the chef is the Sue Ann of the Mama <laughs> show. <laughs> Sue Ann's very horny.